right. So who have we got in the live chat? We've got Nick Indiff. We've got Stuart. Hey, guys. How you doing? What up to the people of the booge? This is going to be potentially be a really fucking weird show. Uh, <laughs> because... So I've been doing... I've been doing... Um, uh, yes. Do, so Nick is, Nikki is saying... Um, I don't know if it's Nikki or Nick. Uh, is saying, do I need to get a gin? Yes, you do. It's been a hot day. Uh, I don't know where in the world you are, Nikki. Um, but I'm in the home counties and it's been like... <laughs> now Nikki's saying, all right, I'm... I'm getting a gin. Um, it's been like 27 degrees here in the shires of the UK and in the home counties. And uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's taken its toll. We need to refresh ourselves. We need to stay hydrated, right? And beer is going to help with that somehow. Um, so let's just, let's let's crack open some, some alcohol. It's been, it's been a week, hasn't it? It's been a week, guys. Um, what's the big news today is these peerages, right? Um, Boris Johnson's peerages, the ones that got through, the ones that were approved, signed off, and the ones that were, yeah, not, not so approved. Um, somebody was like on Twitter about 10, 20 minutes ago saying like, isn't it funny how the ones that got approved are the sort of high society types? You know, it's like your Jacob Rees-Mogg's. It's your the the head of like the co-chair of the Conservative Party who's responsible for getting donations in and ba essentially making money for people in the city. That motherfucker, <laughs> he got recognised. But the the sort of I was going to say working class ones. They're not really working class, but they're sort of more salt of the earth than that guy or Reese Mogg, and they get kicked to the curb. So very you know like you're Nadine Dorries. Um, and it's so sort of, you know, I, doesn't it make your heart break? Even though, look, we all hate Nadine Dorries. I get it. She's fucking ridiculous. Every time I saw her on the news, she was just like swaying drunk. She looked like me on like the third or fourth day of a Christmas session. Like, you know, when you go back to your hometown and you're out like catching up with different people. Some people you used to go to university with. Some people are just like mates of mates and other people. Maybe it's like an ex-girlfriend you go and catch up with. Then you go over and shoot pool with these guys. But all of these days add up. And after the third or fourth day on the trot, you're just swaying drunk <laughs> within like the first two or three hours. Because all the alcohol is adding up and you haven't given your body a chance to just hang over yet. Well, that was how she was like swaying drunk when I saw her on the news <laughs> representing the country, not not least her party. Um, so maybe we shouldn't be particularly shocked that she wasn't recognised for a damehood. However, you know, Reese Mogg has fucking fallen asleep in the Houses of Parliament, you know, having a lay down on the bench, on the front bench, no less. So, you know, if... Being a bit pissed is worse than being busted for laying down and like literally sleeping on the job. And then to have the temerity to walk into the civil service and go, I think you guys are a little bit lazy for my liking. Like, for for real. You, you're actually going to say that, are you? Um, like, but what does it say about the conservatives, about Boris Johnson, about the current uh, breed of conservative decision maker that the people that they've recognised are the upper class types they've got the doff of the cap they've got the nod and the welcome in to the house of lords the titles 
whilst you're Nadine Dorries. I would have thought Dorries would be top of the fucking list. Because she sacrificed so much dignity. <laughs> How many people have cracked jokes about her? About the screenshots of her, like, gazing adoringly at Boris Johnson while he's, you know, tub-thumping the dispatch box and she's, like, just gawping up at him with the sort of puppy dog eyes that you wish your first girlfriend had looked at you with. Do you know what I mean? Like, cast your mind back to your school years, to your formative years. And remember how your girlfriend looked at you and how you wished she had looked at you. Um, that's how Nadine Dorries looked at Boris Johnson. And the jokes that came out of that relationship and how steadfast she was committed to supporting him at every twist and turn and pivot and lie and 180 and U-turn and every single time he made them all look like a complete bunch of cunts. She was there front and centre saying, no, 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 I, I don't accept that. Or what was the other one? Why, why are you asking me that? Why? What gives you the right to ask me that? Then, you know, late night votes, swaying, drunk, like her dignity is so far down the U-bend. It was flushed out with the first waves of the Portsmouth Harbour sewage. That's how long ago her dignity left the building. And you would think. Well, would you think I was going to say you would think maybe there would be some reward there. Some recompense down the line you know look nadine i i know i made you look like a right cunt quite a few times i know i did and look it's not gonna give you back those years that you wasted serving in a cabinet that will be consigned to history as literally the enron of british politics it's not gonna give you that time back i'm sorry love but as a small token of what passes for my empathetic appreciation may i offer you this mostly meaningless title <laughs> this document that says you're a dame love uh you'd think that he would at least pretend to have some gratitude there but for one reason or another that apparently is not that's not happened that's not present who would have thunk it who would have thought that after all you know boris johnson apparently doesn't appreciate these people who make themselves look stupid for him, for his benefit. It's almost like he looks at them as just sort of, you know, supporting cast members, pawns on a ch chessboard to support him, but entirely expendable, you know? I put a tweet out earlier uh, comparing it to, I don't know if you guys remember, uh, quite an old film now, Cliffhanger with uh, Sylvester Stallone. And the bad guy in it is, God, I'm never going to remember his fucking name. But he's got, like, in this movie, he's got a sort of an English uh, inflection on his accent, although he's not English. He's he's like, he's the dad in um, uh, the Bigfoot movie, and he's in, I think he's in the Santa Claus movie as well. And, like, uh, anyway, he's, he's a bad guy in this, and he holds the woman, I don't know if you remember this scene in Cliffhanger, he holds that, you know, pretty young woman, uh, a blonde woman, and he says to her, do you know what true love actually is? And she just kind of goes, no. And then he whispers in her ear. He's like, sacrifice. And then he 
fucking blasts a hole through her chest. He just kills her so that then they, like, the good guys will, like, see to her while he, like, makes a run for it, right? And I was like, I shared this picture of him, like, you know, whispering into her ear. And it, because that's basically what's happened with Johnson and Dorries now. Is, you know, here you've got this woman who has backed him at every possible juncture. She's like, no, I don't accept that. You know, I think Boris is the best thing that's ever happened to this. You know, she's made herself look like a right tit many, many times. You can fill up a greatest tits album with all of the separate occasions she made herself look like a tit for him. Uh, and then there on the clifftop is, you know, imagine it's Boris Johnson. He's like, but do you know what real love is, Nadine? No, oh, well, like maybe. Maybe, like, cast her mind back to looking up at him adoringly. Yeah, I've, I've got an idea what it might be. Shall I tell you what true love is, Nadine? Yes, I mean, I mean, just tell me anything. I'll listen to you always, Boris. It's sacrifice. Boom! Just kick to the curb. And you, you sort of feel sorry a little bit. It's like, it's... Is it sorrow? Do I, do I feel empathetic towards her? Knowing what a useless MP and... You know, like the, the the service that she hasn't provided to the country by being a mem uh, elected member of parliament. Do I feel sorry for her or do I just, you know, kick back and masturbate over this most potent uh, instances of schadenfreude? <laughs> if ever you needed an instance of schadenfreude, like a, you know, a schadenfreude wank, I mean, this would be up there, wouldn't it? And those things don't come around often. You know, Schadenfreude, you couldn't fill up like a Greatest Hits album with like all of the instances of that. It's, you know, it's more of an EP sort of thing. Um, anyway, I want to talk a little bit, the tiny bit of podcast admin tonight as well. Oh, John Lithgow. Yes, that's right. Stuart in the chat has just reminded me who it is. John Lithgow is the actor. Um, yeah, so I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, the podcast and things that are happening. So... I'm in conversations with somebody at the moment about them maybe sponsoring the podcast and, you know, TikToks and live shows and so on. It's very, very early days, but I'm allowing myself to be excited about that. So that's good. Just wanted to sort of sort of a, you know, an update to you guys, but also a bit of a mini brag, I guess. Like I'm excited. Things are happening. People are noticing. Um, so there's that. Then we've got Glastonbury coming up. That is happening in what, like 10 days. I'm allowing myself to be excited about that also. However, I am shitting my pants because I've been testing material at these stand-up nights every fucking week. And uh, some of it's been really hit and miss. I'll be honest with you. I'm going <laughs> to... There's no point in having a podcast where I just lie to you guys. Some of you are my Patreons. I wouldn't want to fill your head with misinformation and lead you up the garden path. Some of these gigs have been tough. <laughs> Some of them have been a little icky. And I've come off the stage afterwards thinking to myself, why the fuck did I think that would work? You know, questioning myself. Wondering if, like, maybe, actually, in hindsight, maybe the reason that you're not a successful, famous stand-up comedian isn't because you had kids. And they robbed you of your future and your dreams. Maybe the reason actually is that you're shit. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe your kids are just a convenient scapegoat for you to just lather with blame. Uh, but no, it's it's um, 
it's been a little bit tricky here and there. Some stuff has worked, but in the run up to Glastonbury, like I had this fantasy that I would build this new set and it was all going to be like delicious, new, satirical, political bits because the show that I'm involved with there is very political. And frankly, I don't want to go on and be like, oh, let's talk about the time I got laid in 2005. Or, you know, I, I feel like, you know, people would be like, well, yeah, I mean, we, we could talk about it. I'll listen to that if you want me to. But, I, you know, it's a bit weird because this is, isn't this a political bit? Like, I wanted to, you know, come with some new stuff. But now all of the new stuff is like, oh, man. <laughs> do I want a mediocre first time at Glastonbury or do I want to smash it with some sort of, you know, tried and tested? So um, anyway, so just rewind a little bit. Possibility of sponsorship, Glastonbury coming up. And then some of you may be aware, if you follow me on Twitter, if you've seen some videos that I've been posting, where I allude to, where I reference 28.9. Maybe you've seen that banded around. Maybe you thought, what on earth does this mean? Like I have pretended <laughs> to not know what it means. Basically, I've been fermenting this sort of, you know, M. Night Shyamalan. I can never say that guy's fucking name. I'll just say John Lithgow again. That's easier. Uh, I've been <laughs> fermenting this idea that it's like a mysterious mythical thing that's just spray painted on walls around London and that, you know, various journalists are hearing this phrase, 28-9, 28-9, there's people with sandwich boards, you know, like it's the fucking Stephen King's The Stand, you know, people ringing bells, walking down Times Square going, 28-9, 28-9, you know, like it's some big mythical thing. Anyway, to a greater or much, much lesser extent, this is built up into a sort of little marketing campaign. And basically, I can tell you now, we have reached a target on my Patreons, the people who are invested in this show and who come to the London-based meetups and who get first dibs on the tickets and join the Discord chat and all of the other stuff that you get with Patreon. Um, we've reached the 21 Patreons mark, guys. So I am doing a culty Sunday sermon in London on, it's not Sunday, unfortunately, on Thursday, Thursday, the 28th of September in London. It's at the Book Club in Shoreditch. I couldn't get a Sunday venue. No, no it's open on Sunday. And all the, all the other places were like, yeah, could you front us a thousand pounds for the, you know, you're, you're basically renting the bar off us. And, you know, London real estate, if you want to rent, like I could rent a room in London. For a grand? Um, like, what the fuck are you talking about? Well, you know, it's it's a commercial property. It's a good... What the fuck? So, anyway, a friend of mine, a guy who's actually been on the podcast, a comedian called John Mayer. Uh, wait, hold on. Mayer. I think it's John Mayer. I always forget how you pronounce his surname. Um, but he put me in touch with somebody at the book club, and uh, they've agreed to put it on. On a Thursday night, um, starts at seven. There's me... Doing stand-up, there's Otto English, the author, who also does a lot of stuff for Byline Times. He's massive on Twitter, really funny guy. Um, I've got Ashley Hayden coming down. He's a, like, proven fucking, like, but what's the phrase? Battle, battle proven, battle hardened stand-up. He's quite a dark stand-up, observational, political, satirical. If you came to the 21 Soho night, you would have seen him there. But the guy is just an acerbic, vitriolic mess. I fucking love him. So he's performing as well. 
Then there's going to be a live podcast. There's going to be fun and games. I'm super psyched about it. It's going to be like half comedy, half sort of like psalms because it's a sermon, right? Because I'm building a cult. So it's going to be like psalms. It's going to be, you know, a bit priesty. There's going to be a thing at the bar that says Kool-Aid on it. Um, and that's on Thursday, the 28th of September. So that is the 28-9 thing. If you want to get tickets for that, I would advise that you go onto the book club website, ASAP, and book them up because they've been out to the Patreons for a week. So if you want to get tickets for that, I would fly to it very quickly because Otto is fucking amazing and pretty big. So I imagine a lot of people who love him will want to get tickets for it. So, yeah, go and get tickets now. You have been warned it will sell out. Um, so there's that. Um, what else have I got to tell you about? Um, so I wanted to... <laughs> Let me just address the elephant in the room here. So this is episode 184. And you may have noticed if you're on the live stream... <laughs> It's, it's episode 184, Sean Smith. And you might be thinking to yourself now, hang on a second, like, where the fuck is Sean Smith? You know, Aid's been, like, tweeting about her and, you know, Instagramming. And, and he says that she's this, like, dark comedian, you know, social worker, domestic violence survivor, um... And, uh, you know, and stand up comedian and, and, and uh, I'm really into it. And like maybe you've seen her like special on YouTube. Um, and she's I don't know what to tell you. She's supposed to be here. So, <laughs> And I've been like really shitting it about like the time difference because she's out in Australia. So I've been like sending her like text going, we're cool, aren't we? Like for. Yeah. And she's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then. But I, I guess the time difference is like one hour different or two hours different to what? she thought it was so now we're just like we're shanless guys but i thought do you know what let's still let's do an episode we'll maybe take some questions from the live chat so what's up to mojo sabian what's up to reg who's joined us as well and nikki and Stuart. um pop any uh, questions in there that you've got for what you might for whatever i'm talking about um and we'll just crack on. We'll have a good one. And let's hope that Sean can... Well, first of all, let's hope that Sean's okay. Because, you know, that crosses my mind sometimes. Uh, it's like, God, I hope the guest is all right. Um, but also, if she is waking up like an hour later, then she might, you know, it's possible she might just jump on like half asleep. Um, however, do you know what? I th I'm pretty sure she messaged me saying she would be at the airport in time, like when she dialed into this, because she's on the road. So... I would have thought she'd be awake by now if she's going to the airport. But anyway, let's hope, let's hope she's okay, and uh, we'll we'll catch up with her soon. Um. Anyway, so yeah, the big news, big news today was the uh, uh, the fucking uh, the titles, the uh, honors. A lot of people calling it the dishonors. Now, I feel like, from my perspective, I think if there was an award where you know it used to be given out to somebody that had something right you know like the video vanguard award at the mtv awards i'm showing how much of a fucking 1990s muso kid i used to be but like the, the video vanguard award at mtv used to be the big fucking thing you know they would give that to like serious artists like the best selling r&b artist of that year like your janet jacksons your swvs your i guess destiny's child or like beyonce would have gone 
I don't even know who wins that sort of award anymore. But like, if they give it to somebody like a K-pop group, I'm like, that award means fuck all. Like, that's <laughs> you've ruined. Not only are they shit, now your award is shit because the cont- the contagion has just bled out from their awful material and their shit songs out into your award. Because if that is what your award celebrates, how can your award be anything other than dog, dog shit? So it's a bit like that with the honors system. Now, like at some point, it meant something, I think. Or maybe there's some of you who fundamentally disagree with that and you're like, it's always been a classist fucking exercise where they reward people for nothing, for people who've donated enough to the governing party. You know, that's how it works, aid. And then they get a nice cushy lord seat for the rest of their life or, or whatever. It may have always been like that. But I do feel like with the Johnson uh, nominations, if you like, for peerages. Firstly, there's more nominations than there has ever been from any other sitting prime minister. He's nominated 50 people and he didn't even serve a full term. That is like, I don't even want to know. Well, it's like, it's like somebody starting at your office and they, they, you know, they resign within their probation period. So they've only been there for like, you know, nine weeks. And then they're like, all right, guys, you know, I, I think I've, I've earned my stripes. So where are you all taking me for my leaving? Everyone would be like, what the fuck is this guy on? Like, he's, this is, no, you don't get a leaving dude. Nobody's passing around a card with donations and a bouquet of flowers. You fucked everything up. Like, that is the equivalent of Boris Johnson. He got elected. Almost immediately afterwards, everything fell to shit. <laughs> In the same way that, like, you know, a man comes along and swoops a woman off her feet, promising the world. Oh, I'm so rich, babe. I've got like houses in Miami and Cape Town and New York. And like, yeah, just get married to me and everything will be perfect. And then as soon as she gets married to him, you know, she's exposed to his debt problems, the total absence of houses, the fact that he's a serial philanderer. He's got five STIs. Like once she's exposed to like all of the promises, like the populism is what I'm getting at. Once you're actually in bed with this kind of person, it all turns to shit so quickly. And it's like that. It's like, you know, here is Johnson. He got elected and almost immediately it all fell to pieces. Whether it was, you know, promises around Brexit. Or perhaps it was, um, you know, we'll send the virus packing in 12 weeks. Or perhaps it was a commitment to transparency. (laughs) Or, you know, perhaps it was the only person who can unite and lead this party is me. Or perhaps it was his commitment to green stuff or, you know, laying down in front of bulldozers. And like all of the myriad bullshit that he's come out with over the years. But whatever it was, all of those empty promises all just fell to pieces super fucking quick. And so for them, for then him to say, for he to say, fucking up my grammar a bit. For him to then stand up and go, okay, look, hasn't worked out. You know, I took this job on. Obviously, you know, maybe it's not for me. I'm just going to bow out, guys. Here's my resignation. Oh, but by the way, (laughs) here's my fifth, like double the amount of peerage nominations as Theresa May, I think. And even Liz Truss, this is why they're so fucking shameless, isn't it? Like, even Liz Truss, who was in the job, (laughs) like, like interim holiday cover basically 
You know, I have seen PAs in the city hired, fucked, and fired within a <laughs> longer space of time than Liz Truss became Prime Minister and exited stage left. Uh, so, but even she has got her list of peerage nominations. I suppose we'll find out who the fuck they are. That would be, that would be some funny shit, wouldn't it? It's like, you know, Boris Johnson doesn't nominate Nadine Dorries. But then Liz Truss does. Oh, that would be so fucking delicious, wouldn't it? Especially if, right, you have to bear in mind that uh, when prime ministers leave office, they almost always, almost every single time, the o there's only one exception to this, and I'll touch on that in a second, but almost every single ex-prime minister becomes a lord or, you know, a baroness. Or, so Thatcher became Baroness. Um, actually, has John Major got a peerage yet? I don't know. Um, but the the one anomaly, I think, is Tony Blair. And apparently the reason that they won't give him a peerage, and this has you know, gone on for a long, long time now, is because he was not rude to the Queen, but because he was the messenger. He was the one that was like, you have to come back to London and show that you care about Princess Diana having died. And I think they thought, Buckingham Palace thought that that was uh, uppity, <laughs> that he that was rude. He was getting above his station, demanding the Queen came back. Although I'm sure he would argue that he didn't demand. He was just, you know, applying a little bit of pressure <laughs> to appease the, you know, mourning nation. Um, anyway, it's going to be fucking delicious because if Boris Johnson becomes a lord, which, look, I don't relish that idea happening, but it's probably going to happen if Boris Johnson becomes a lord and Liz Truss <laughs> becomes a baroness, uh, not Liz Truss, Liz Truss nominates Nadine Dorries as a baroness. Oh, that would be so fucking awkward, wouldn't it? Just del oh, chef's kiss. Awkward. Because Johnson would be walking down the corridor of the House of Lords just like, well, go in for a quick fight. Actually, he wouldn't even turn up for a vote. But let's say he comes in for dinner for the cheap bar one day. That feels more likely. And, you know, he's just enjoying the cheap alcohol and the subsidised food and banging whoever his PA is that time. I don't know why I'm talking about banging PAs so much tonight. Something's got in there. Anyway, that's what he's doing, walking down the corridor. And then Nadine Dorries enters the corridor from the other way. <laughs> and he'd be like, who, who let her in? Why, why is she here? I thought she wasn't an MP anymore. Like, oh, yeah, no, um, Liz... Liz nominated her for a period. She did fucking what? Like, this is going to get so weird and like triangulated because now Johnson is going to have to bribe whoever it is that has the say over Liz Truss and Nadine Dorries becoming a peerage through Liz. Oh, it's going to get so lovely and messy. I can't wait. Um, I don't even know why I'm so interested or like why I would find that so funny, but. Anyway, let's quickly um, pop back to the live chat. Let's see how people are doing. Um, so uh, Red says, hi, Aid. Kelvin here. Hey, man. How's, how's it going? Uh, uh, Stuart says, you need a grand tour of Scotland. Yes, I would love to do a grand tour of Scotland. thing is, like, this sort of stuff, when you do a podcast, it's very slowly, slowly catch the monkey kind of thing. It's like it starts with a few episodes here and there that you promote you know, sheepishly on your social media, because the last thing you want when you start it is like your ex-girlfriends. 
and estranged periphery figure friends kind of going like, oh, God, have you said, oh, he started a podcast. Oh, God, you know, so you you very slowly build it. And then it gets up to a certain point where there's some momentum to it. And that's great. And then you can start looking at like, you know, a sponsor, maybe possibly and like doing live shows and selling a few tickets. And that's great. But it's also a bit like it's not generating enough money yet that you can actually say, can we fund a tour? Like it would it'd almost be like, I don't know, like it's in my mind to do shows somewhere else. That would be great. But I feel like it needs to have generated a, a nice cushion of like bank money first. So I can like the, the, the thing I don't want to happen is like I say to my girlfriend, look, I'm going away for two weeks to do shows in like Manchester, Birmingham, Edinburgh and like a few other big cities. And then she's just sort of stuck here and I'm spending our like act, like current account money <laughs> funding my dream while the you know, kids are driving around the wall and they're starving and she can't afford to take them anywhere. And like, so I've got to do it a little bit, you know, slowly, a little bit sensible. Um, Mojo Sabian says, what do you think about the whole Roger Waters thing? I'm kind of, I am stuck in the middle with that one. So for the benefit of those who are not fully across this, I, do you know what? I'm not even fully across it. But here's the situation as I understand it. Uh, Roger Waters is touring at the moment with The Wall, right? Which is a sort of theatrical representation of the Pink Floyd album that was released many, many years ago. And within that, Within that performance, that theatrical representation is a scene that channels something within the proximity of kind of Nazi Im imagery. Like it's a sort of a bad guy in very like Nazi Hugo Boss-esque kind of get up. And there's I think there's is there like emblems that are sort of they're not Nazi emblems, but they're sort of there's a there's an aesthetic uh homage <laughs> going on there is is the situation as i understand it and there's a lot of people saying well this is outrageous like how like his shows should be cancelled in fact starmer has said he should those shows should not go ahead so i read uh and i don't i'm gonna get myself in trouble i suppose for saying this i don't necessarily agree with that and i'm gonna sort of elaborate on why so I think if you are uh, coordinating a theatrical performance and the substance of which is something to do with, you know, warning about bad guys or warning about fascism or, you know, portraying a particular character as though he is nasty and he might be a bit Nazi-esque. I think you should have the liberty to be able to do that, to portray a thing, because it's not real. You're not the actual Nazi. Like, have we all gone fucking mad? Can you not even have, like, a movie or a sitcom or, you know, a, a YouTube short film or something where somebody pretends to be a thing that they're actually not? There's the spoiler alert for you. Is It's a character. It's not a real person, guys. And I guess you could make a case that, you know, what would possess somebody in 2023 to bother to put on a show that channels imagery like that and logos and emblems that are like that. So close after we've just come through the like Labour anti-Semitism stuff or uh, 
uh, and where we all feel incredibly volatile about race and about equality. And, you know, you would have to expect that even if it wasn't your intention to upset or offend or segregate or cause issues, you would have to expect you were going to attract some negative attention for that. And I would think at the very least, at the base level, for somebody like Roger Waters, he should have a PR guy on standby and go, oh, yeah, yeah. just just checking in. What should I do when they definitely call me a Nazi? Like, you would think there would be some sort of guardrail there. So, no, I don't think it's right that he should be, you know, cancelled. Uh, yes, I do think it's a bit stupid on his part. No, I don't think we should be pulling concerts and tours by people. Just the same as I... like. So, I got into an interesting, a very brief exchange the other day with somebody. Um... Uh, it's Graham Hughes from Labour Social, who you guys might follow on YouTube. And if you don't, you should absolutely go and give him a like, give him a, a subscribe. Um, and he and I were saying, I, I don't know if it was on, I think it was on Twitter. Uh, somebody asked me what my thought was on the football fan, the thug, like the, the firm kind of guy. He was at a football game the other week. It was a, a Manchester City, was it? Or Man United versus Liverpool. And he was on the Manchester side and he wore this shirt and it, it referenced that uh, the Liverpudlian guys who died uh, in the stampede that time, uh, that, that there were not enough of them dead, that he was celebrating the fact that so many Liverpudlians had died. Um, and Graham is a scouser. So obviously, you know, even if he weren't like this is something that he, feel, he feels quite strongly about that you shouldn't. You know, that if you wear a T-shirt like that, that is disgusting. That is uncalled for. There's no place for it. And it's right that he should have been arrested. Now, I feel completely differently about that. Um, you know, I would never go so far as describing myself as like a, you know, foghorning Tufton Street libertarian. <laughs> not, I'm not quite there. But I do think there's a... We're in tricky territory when we start arresting people for what's on a T-shirt. And people were like, so you would just let him wear that T-shirt? I'm like, no, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that T-shirt is wrong and it's disgusting, uncalled for, and he should be ejected from the venue and he shouldn't be like if he's in a public park, the police should move him on. Or he could be questioned about it. Like, why are you wearing that? That's a strange choice of attire to be wearing out in the open. I think he should be banned, ejected, blacklisted from every, like, business venue and publicly shamed. He could be, like, photographed in the paper and sh named and shamed for it. But arrested? That seems strong. That seems far to me. Because if you took the um, counterpart, of that which would be what right so he's laughing about dead football fans right now if i laugh about dead tories you know i'm comfortably left of center i think the conservative party are crooked and s they're somehow crooked but also incompetent i think they're shady i think they operate entirely within their own interests i think they're disgusting and i i hope that at the next election they are banished and relegated to the third party not even opposition i hope that happens could I wear a T-shirt that says, you know, laughing at dead Tories? I probably wouldn't. But if somebody else wore it, would we want them arrested? Would we understand when they got arrested for it? I don't think we would. I think we would say it's an outrage 
And I think we would frame it as uh, that it's the libertarian freedom of speech warriors who are now getting this guy arrested for what's on his T-shirt. I don't think it I think it would be hypocritical. So. Yeah, I don't know where I'm going with this. I, I sort of feel like, you know, whatever you wear on a T-shirt is whatever you wear on a T-shirt. It can be disgusting and I can fucking hate it, but I'm not going to get people arrested for it. In the same way as like I wouldn't put a Roger Waters show on with a load of imagery and emblems and all that stuff. And like, that's not me. I'm not really interested in that. But do I think it should be shut down? Probably not. <laughs> Sorry, that was a really, really long way of answering one of my Patreons, one of my top, top Patreons. The only one that's taken me up so far on a uh, monthly one-to-one -one chat. What's up, Mojo? Um... Reg Monday says it's 4.30 a.m. in Australia, Aid. Yeah, so we we know this. We knew this. and I kept, But I kept sort of like saying, you know, it's it's half seven GMT. <laughs> like I was so... I really thought that we'd like nailed it. And, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's... I, I'm totally accepting that uh, maybe we should have nailed this down harder. I'm sure, I'm sure that Sean is uh, probably having a good old kip um and she'll probably pop online when i'm half cut <laughs> at like half nine i'll be like i'm sorry we can't do this i've got to go to bed um let's uh let's carry on with a few more a uh, few more questions um uh so where are we where did we get to uh oh yes okay so uh stuart says i think it's always been a class thing with the peerages i think you're probably right i think at least before it could pretend to be a recognition of your what you had given to your country. But maybe you're right. Maybe it's always been actually mostly a class thing, rewarding people for their corruption. And then what they do is on top of that, they sprinkle a few nice little like, oh, it's Mo Farah. Here comes Mo. Yeah, give Mo an OBE. There you go. Run along, your little scamp. Uh, and then, you know, maybe there's somebody else who's done a lot of charity work. Or some old lady who's like swept her street every day for 57 years and we should give her a CBE and like, or like there's a few of those sprinkled on top, but they're just there as like, you know, the sugar, the sort of, you know, this, this is a sweetener. This gets people thinking that this is what peerage is about, but actually in you come lads, you know, is, is that sort of what it is, you know, or is that what it's always been? Um, Nick says, I have gin. Good. I've got beer. Um, Cheers. I've literally, I've been, because I don't have a guest on, um, so they're not sort of taking the reins. You know, we're not going tit for tat or passing the baton. Um, then I haven't stopped for even to have a sip yet. So cheers. Happy Friday, guys. Might end up being the most sober Friday night episode I've done in recent memory. I'll tell you what else I'll tell you about tonight. I have been obsessing. <laughs> over this this new um this new podcast that i found um and i'm very late to the game on this uh, i think it came out in january uh, and it's called the coldest case in laramie i don't know if any of you are familiar with it but it's made by the same people who did like the serial podcast about adnan syed um but anyway this one's called uh, the coldest case in laramie and it's about this girl who got killed uh, and then the guy who did it, he set the flat on fire. Um, it's in America. And I think he, he set fire to it burn, to burn the evidence, uh, I guess. Um, 
And it sounds like a sort of slam dunk case, like open and shut sort of thing. Like the girl gets murdered, the apartment gets burnt out, and the key suspect was this estranged cop, okay? And he's this estranged cop, like he's married, he's got family, but he's just staying in this same apartment block, like away from his family. And this estranged cop is known by the victim and her friends. Like he keeps like rocking up to their flat and offering his help for stuff. Like there's one example where a girl wakes up with a, a mouse like up her shirt and then he's just outside the door. So like he hears her screaming. So then he like immediately runs into the apartment to like save her or like help her. And she's like, I don't know. Like it just it felt weird that he was just there. Like um, and he was always like apparently like knocking on their door like he would. They they thought he was breaking like the, the blinds or the shutters or something on their window just so that then he could offer his help to then help fix them. So he's always like in their periphery, always sort of there creeping a bit. He's a bit older than them. They're in their like early 20s or something. Um. So anyway, so he keeps rocking up to the flat and he's just buzzing around, you know, annoyingly. And, and he's there immediately after she gets murdered. And the flat is on fire, but he's not he, he doesn't help out to like try and put like the fire out or to rescue anyone inside this burning flat because he knows he's killed the bitch inside there. <laughs> he, he knows that he knows that she's dead as fuck in there. So it's better for him if he just lets the fire rage, you know, and let it just burn away the, the evidence. Uh, and so like all of this is circumstantial kind of evidence so far, obviously, but it doesn't look good. You know, it's suspicious behavior, always hanging around, bit creepy. Um, he's not helping to save her when it's the fire's going on. And he's just there instantly when it's happening and yet not helping, you know. And then later on, here's the wild part, right? Later on, he even confesses to it. Like he, he said he's on record as saying like, yeah, I guess I, I killed the girl, you know, like he says that. And then they charge him, right? So it's all, you know, you see where this is headed. You know, girl dies, flat burnt out. He admits it. They arrest and charge him. And then nothing, nothing happens after that. Like the charges are dropped and then the records disappear. Like even the records that were at some point suggesting that he had been charged, like even those records recording the charging, all of that is wiped from the courthouse and everything. This journalist who's like hosting the podcast notices like she's, you know, trying to figure out more, um, more, get more information about it, what happened, because she's from this town originally. Um, and it really weirded me out, like listening to this, like I'm like halfway through it now. I still don't know actually what's happened or what she's found out, but I got proper obsessed by this podcast called The Coldest Case in Laramie. And this is nothing that new. Let me just be clear about that. Like, I always get fucking obsessed by these things. Uh, I really do. Like, like, for some people, it's like, you know, oh, I just could not put this book down, you know? Or, like, they'll say, oh, this this box set that we were watching, oh, it's so gripping, you know? <laughs> but I get that, like, times a million. Like, I get fucking, I devour shit. Like, I'll do, I, I would have done a, a batch of them, like, six or seven episodes in a row, and then I'm upstairs, like, combing through Twitter to see what people have said about it. And then I'm, like, awake at 2 a.m., like, going through my phone. Like, my girlfriend will wake up and be like, what the, what the fuck are you doing? And I'll just be like, oh, this is really addictive, you know? <laughs> and she'll be like, no, no, you, you just have a disorder, and you need to be medicated. This is getting out of hand. Like, 
every time we get into a new box set or podcast or something, you're just salivating it, drinking in the information. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> Aid. You've got to be up in three out anyway. So, but I do genuinely, like, I dive into these things and devour them. And this one has got me obsessed. It's got me hooked right in. And it, it made me think, like, you know, what's happened maybe that's nearer to me? You know, in my hometown or in, like, my neck of the woods. I wonder what weird unsolved murders there are around here. And so I started Googling. And I found this one. And it was a Lithuanian guy. Um, and his name was, uh, I've got his name here, um, Avaris uh, Danilevicius. Or something. Avaris. I've, I've no idea if I'm saying that right. I'm positive I am not. Uh, let's call him Avi. Should we call him Avi? Let's do that. So, Avi is this guy from Lithuania. And it sounds like he had some links to the like London gay scene. Like he moved here in 1996, it said. Um, and then the police think that he went missing in 2004. Uh, but no one actually reported him missing until 2008. Like, how the fuck does that happen? <laughs> how do people not get reported missing for four years? Like, I know I, I have gay friends. I know sometimes gay guys like to party. And I had a pretty wild, you know, 20s and 30s. But how raucous do you have to be that you could just go off the grid for four years and people are like, well, you know Avi. You know what I mean? Like, what kind of incredible social scene are you part of if your if your recce bank holiday weekend mashups last four fucking years? You know. So anyway, like the police think that he died uh, in 04, 2004. And this is where it gets a bit funky because um, they think he died then 2004. Keep that year in your mind. Right. But then they found the body. 11 years later, 11 years in 2015, wrapped in bin bags and a blanket and left in a ditch. And then in Wargrave, by the way. And then it was found by workmen. So I was like reading through this going like, this is fucking weird. Like, where the fuck, where has this corpse been? For a decade, you know? And then this is when I start getting, like, upset, like, going levels deep. Like, the ADHD starts kicking. Like, I have to know everything <laughs> about this case. You know, where could this body have been for 11 years? Like, has it been in someone's house? You know, was it... Was it in their shed? <laughs> was it, you know, under a patio? Or some shit, like... You know, you start sort of going through the possibilities and concocting these. Like, why would you move the body after all that time? Is what kept going through. Like, yeah, I know that's not the thing that we should be focusing on here. Like, I know it's a tragedy. And really what we should be thinking about is, you know, what the fuck happened to him? You know, who killed him or whatever. But it's just, it's fascinating, isn't it? Because like the detective in me, the nighttime detective, is like, okay, look, you know, this is a gay guy who, you know, moved house in 2015, probably. You know, that's why he had to, you know, move the body then. Like, it's probably someone that's local to Wargrave 
I guess, you know, which is where they found the body, uh, which I don't know if you know much about the home counties, right? But the shires and all that. But Wargrave is so not a vibrant gay party town. It is the polar opposite of, you know, I don't know, fucking Hackney or London Fields or Brighton or fucking or like South London where he might have got mixed up in some gangster shit, you know, and he gets snatched in a black van and then, you know, because he was running his mouth off at a bar and he offended the wrong guy. So then they snatched him and, you know, stabbed him up and then buried him in the middle of the- Like, this is a proper Berkshire country ideal, Wargrave. It's like leafy. It's a little village. It's, you know. So I don't know. Like, I, I was thinking in my head, I was like, how many gay dudes can there be in this one little village in this area who also moved house in 2015? Right? Because that has to be why you would move the body, I think. It's because you were forced to. Like some, you know, it would be, it'd be some like, you know, childless 40-year-old man who's living with his mum. And his mum is like clueless about his sexuality, you know. She's still saying shit like, oh, you'll, you'll find a nice girl someday, Nigel, you know. And Nigel just knows and understands that it would destroy his mum. If he ever told her that he was a homosexual. And so he's stuck living with her because she's of a certain age. And, you know, she has to have someone take care of her. And they can't afford to get her proper care. So it kind of has to be him. But maybe he knows that if he did tell her, you know, by the way, I love Dick. <laughs> I can't get enough of Dick. Like if he did just come out to his mum... You know, she has these outdated beliefs and, you know, she's not a bad person, but she's just, you know, she's from a different generation when when bad persons were much more celebrated than homosexual ones, right? <laughs> like, he doesn't want to upset her. And she flies off the handle and calls him a pervert and collapses into inconsolable sobbing and she'll blame herself for raising him wrong or so, you know, and then she'll get all angry and she'll tell him to get the fuck out of her house and then she'll call him every anti-gay slur under the sun. Because, you know, she's older and that's what they used to do back then. And she's ashamed of him and she blames herself and there's anger. And, you know, well, now, you know, if that happened, now he's homeless and he would be worried about his mum not getting, you know, the care and maybe having a fall. And if she had a fall, she might die and then nobody might come to save her. And, you know, maybe nobody would clean up her body for 11 fucking years. Like, maybe that would be bad, right? Like. Is what he's reasoning to himself. And so, anyway, he keeps the sexuality stuff all bottled up. And he lets it out on the weekend, is what I'm getting at here, right? I know some of you are going to be listening to this and you're going to be thinking, like, fucking hell, he's going, he's going deep on this, you know? I mean, this isn't the case, is it? This isn't actually what happened. This is just him babbling on about what he thinks might have happened. And yes, you are right, if that's what you're thinking. I'm just saying, these are the components in my mind, right, of a gay guy who might have gone out, had it all bottled up, you know, partied a bit too hard, you know, to let the demons out. Maybe he got a bit coked up. Maybe there was some sort of ghb fueled fallout and physical fight with someone or some shit. And then, you know, he picked up the nearest thing that was close to him, smashed this guy over the head because the, the body had two, like, blunt force trauma. I don't know if I mentioned that. Two blunt force trauma things in the skull. Um, and so anyway, maybe he got into a fight and he, you know, killed this guy and he had to b bury the body quick, you know, where he lives at his mum's house. And then 11 years later, the mum's dead. The mum's died now, right? 
And maybe now the siblings are, you know, ganging up on him a bit. Pause for beer. Maybe the siblings are like, come on, look, listen, Nigel. You've lived with mum long enough. You know, she's been dead for two years. Nigel, we have to sell the house to pay the inheritance tax. The deeply immoral <laughs> inheritance tax. Remember, because this is Wargrave in Berkshire, in the Shires. So that would be definitely how they see it. I'm positive. And anyway, so now this guy has to start, you know, showing people around the fucking house. Just gently rushing them past the cupboard under the stairs. <laughs> or sealing off the shed or wherever the fuck it was that he's been hiding the body all these years. You know, every viewing for the house, he would be like, you know, no, it's, like, it's okay, I'll, I'll show them around myself. You know, the estate agent would be like, are you sure? Because it's, I mean, that's kind of what we do traditionally, Nigel. We're the estate agent. We'll do the viewings. No, 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 it's fine. <laughs> it's fine. I'll, I'll show them around myself. You know, I just really like showing people around my house. I love this house. So, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'm probably the best person to sell it. You, you just rest up. It's okay. You know? And then the viewing, you know, the people who want to view the house come and see it. And they want to they, they want to see the whole property. So they're like, could, could we just... Can we just have a little look in the shed? You know, just check the wiring is is okay. The, the power. So can we just have a little... And he's like, do not touch that door. <laughs> like, Jesus. Just wanted a little look at the wiring. I said, get away from it. Just ruins the sale. Then he'd have his siblings call him up every weekend. Yes, I know I'm going deep on this. Just bear with me. He'd have his siblings calling him up every weekend. After ruining the sale and the viewings by ushering these people away from wherever the fuck the body is. They'd be like, yeah, the, um, we spoke to the estate agent, uh, Amy, and she said that you insisted on showing people around the house yourself. Well, yeah, I, I mean, I'm not doing much. I, I just thought, thought I could help. Right. I mean, it's just that, it's it what, what, what's the problem? Well, it's just that, you know, they're saying that you hit their hands with a cosh. When they tried to look in the shed. Well, yeah, that, I mean, that, that was um, that was a misunderstanding. Right. I mean, I mean, the thing is, Nigel, like, we know that you don't want to leave the house. You've been there all these years. We get it. You don't want to move. But it's not your house. It's all of ours. All right. And we all have to pay this deeply immoral inheritance tax. So can you just let the estate agent do her job? Yeah. Oh, all right. I mean, if you really insist, I, I guess I could, you know, it hangs up the phone. He's bitching about the tax, you know, like, bloody inheritance tax. Forcing me to discard of the corpse of some guy I murdered 10 years ago. Bloody tax is immoral. <laughs> I told you it was immoral. So now he's forced, is what I'm saying. He's panicking and he has to find somewhere to dump the body. And he's from that area. And he's gay. And it's 2015. And he has to move. And so the body ends up wrapped in bin bags and uh, a blanket. And it's dumped in a ditch down a little sort of country. It's not a road. It's like a little tiny country muddy lane, basically. And then it gets found by the workman. And I guess what I'm saying is that to me, that story makes sense to me, to my mind. But there is so much that nobody knows about this case, this unsolved murder like, and nobody's talking about it. Like, like the police have released a few pictures here and there. There was a picture I, I saw on the internet of uh, the blue and white striped jumper that the, 
the body was found in. But there was no images of the blanket. Which, like, I was reading somebody's blog, and I've, I can't remember where it was. Fuck it. Actually, I still, might still have it open. Uh, oh, yeah, here we go. It's on missingandmurdered.co.uk. Um, so go and give that a read if you if you are so inclined. Um, but, yeah, on this blog, like they were saying, it's a weird thing that they haven't shown a picture of the quilt, like the blanket, because you would think you might remember somebody's blanket if you had stayed round, you know, quote-unquote, Nigel's house. At some point, if you were Nigel's siblings, you might remember that he still had a Transformers blanket duvet thing in 2005. And you thought it was a bit weird. Like, it might ring some bells. So it's strange that they haven't released a photo of the blanket, but they have released a photo of the jumper. And there's, there's a picture of the lane that he was found in, but there's nothing about, like, where he lived in London or what clubs... Like, it says that he was, like, very, like, known in the London gay scene. No mention about what clubs he went to. No mention about who he was friends with or where he lived in London, even. Like, here's this poor fellow. You know, and his relative in Lithuania, I don't know if it's his sister or his mother, apparently they found some DNA, like, on the body or, like, the blanket or something, and they were able to match that through an international database that we've probably left now, thanks to Brexit. Great job, lads. But on in, in that occasion, they were able to match it with his relative in Lithuania, and then they got in touch with her. Um, but here's this, like, this person in Lithuania reports him missing after four years. And his body gets found a decade later. And we don't really know anything more about him. Like, it's so... Like, there's just this vacancy, this sort of shadow where a life that, you know, if somebody went missing, you would be like, oh, yeah, he was like this. He was really into art. He loved pottery. Or, you know, his favourite band was this. And you would have known him if you went to the walkabout bar in Shepherd's Bush. Or, you know, there's none of that. It's like, even before he died, the guy was a fucking ghost. Like, where did he go? Who were his friends? Why did none of them report him missing? Where was he working? What was he doing? D didn't his boss pick up the phone and go like, oh, what the fuck? Where's Avi? Do you know what I mean? Anyway, so now, look, you can you can see how obsessed I get about this stuff. Um, right, let's quickly go back to the chat and then we're going to call it a night, I think. It doesn't look like we're going to get... Uh, 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 we're going to get Sean on this evening. Oh, my God, something's happened in the news. Let's have a look. Um, so I'm going to quickly scan down the uh, the chat here. Um, the Privileges Committee were going to kick him out. Oh, is this Boris Johnson? <laughs> uh, the hops have taken over. Has Aid seen the comments? Should we try Semaphore? Johnson gone, says Nikki. That's what I was looking for. Johnson gone. Right. Stuart says, we know Johnson has gone. Nikki says, Aid, 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 Aid. <laughs> um, and then there's lots of people... Uh, Right. Celebrating that Johnson has gone. Right. I'm going to quickly flick onto the news and let's let's just have a little look at this. Boris Johnson quits. Oh, my goodness gracious me. Fuck me in the face. Boris Johnson stands down as MP with immediate effect. This is incredible news, guys. It's the end of an era. I'm excited. I've got sticky pants right now. I mean, it really is like it's. I struggle to think of the words. It's like he's such a cancerous, uh, horrible influence on British politics. For him to have taken the job of prime minister 
and for his influence to have bled out from the populism to the lies to the sort of Trumpian style of media management to the throwing his ex-colleagues under the bus to like it's just the whole thing is like good fucking riddance bruh and it's interesting isn't it because it's like it was only a, a couple of weeks ago if maybe it was like last week um i was saying like for him to go i would imagine he would have a much happier life just him in himself doing speak like speeches and speaking tours that he should just go and do that where he's applauded for his like non-witty latin fucking shit jokes his slightly off color like non-humor and then host a talk tv show on friday night and be applauded by sycophantic like yes men audience members do you know what i mean like why would a narcissist who needs to be loved and liked by everyone not run to better paid work doing talk tv and speaking tours it made no sense to me why he would cling on as an mp but now it's really nice to hear that the privileges committee have basically removed that option that choice from him and of course what this means for those of you perhaps not quite in the know uh what this means is that the Privileges Committee findings are such that he did lie <laughs> at the dispatch box. He did mislead Parliament, uh, which I've been saying for fucking ages. Like every time I refer to him as like this, you know, this question mark of whether he's lied at the dispatch box, I've been like, you know, and, and then the Privileges Committee will decide on whether or not he definitely did lie at the dispatch box. Like... And there's been times when I've been like, am I going to get into trouble for saying that? You know, I know the podcast is still quite modest in size, but it's like, I, I do wonder at some point, am I going to get myself into trouble for saying shit like that? Like, that's, that is libelly slanderous, aid. Eh? you got to watch yourself. Um, anyway, that's a really nice, like, do you know at the end of the uh, news bulletins, they like to finish on a sort of upward, you know, an uptick. Something to leave you in a good mood. <laughs> well, so far in this show, we've had a guest who, for one reason or another, has not been able to join us. We hope that she's very well and fine. Uh, uh, so we've had a guest that couldn't join us. We've talked about a murder. And uh, now we're leaving on a positive, uplifting news story, which is that Boris Johnson is fucking toast. Cheers to that, guys. All the best. See you next week. <laughs>